And I'm Marcus Nassasi. And this is Passport Necessary, a podcast dedicated to growing up as a TCK and how it's affecting us now that we are adults. And mm-hmm. today we are on our part two of our art series, which I'm very excited to be doing. <laughs> and today we will be focusing on movies. Um, yeah. I don't know what your experience was with movies growing up. I know for myself, because we moved so often, we kind of just had a very small collection of DVDs mm-hmm. that we would carry with us. And that grew over time, but we yeah. really just kind of watched the same movies over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> I think for us, it was a bit of a mixture of things. So we got kind of introduced to different things from different parts of the world. So obviously, there was Japanese stuff because we were in Japan. But then we got French stuff, Iranian stuff. Mm-hmm. British stuff, American stuff. There was all sorts of things that you could watch. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of interesting to see different films from different places. Because it's it's strange because different cultures do have a slightly different attitude towards film. Mm-hmm. And the way the industry works. It's, it's difficult to say what the difference is. I think the thing is that in the US, obviously, like Hollywood have huge amounts of money. Yeah. So the thing is, the kinds of films that are produced are really flashy, very well produced, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think if you're going for smaller countries, sort of like Britain, France, Japan, a lot of the ideas of not fo- the visuals are done differently. Mm-hmm. That- and I think there is a much more they're much more keen to like let things play out a little bit more rather than have a fast paced film. So you, they're quite happy to do two hour films, mm-hmm. like the way Stanley Kubrick used to do. Yeah, I was definitely going to say something I noticed when I would watch any film that wasn't from the U.S. was how much slower the pacing was, how much Mm -hmm. more time it took with everyday things and like to focus Mm -hmm. on more like mundane objects or what would be considered like a mundane conversation and Mm -hmm. looking at the layers underneath that. Whereas I think with a Mm -hmm. lot of American movies, it's a lot more spectacle based. It's a lot more visual entertainment, like big budget, lots of Mm -hmm. noise, sound kind of catching your attention. But I remember watching a couple different French films and some Japanese films. And I always thought that the pacing was a lot slower and there was a lot more attention paid to the small things and the details. Yeah. Yeah. Which I I liked. I, I, I never bought it. Not ever bothered me. I actually sometimes really appreciated that. Mm. I think it's one of those things. It's like, neither is better than the other it's just a different way of doing things and i think you you work with what you have and i think the limitations that people have sometimes help i mean certainly like cultural limitations sometimes help as well because if you're from a particular culture and you expect to see a particular thing Mm -hmm. and you're used to certain ideas within film you'll be comfortable with it so the thing is like in the u.s because that because of the culture around certain sorts of film like action films and all that sort of stuff because of that being there there is a certain kind of cultural limitation which i think is actually a good thing because you know hollywood does make some very good films yeah and Um, it it creates stereotypes that can then be played with with other movies i remember watching uh like watching i think it was a french film and it's gonna escape me the name but they were basically making fun of all the really big budget american like uh heist movies and it was so 
funny because some of the biggest heist movies and like the most well reputed ones came from France. And it was so funny Mm. to watch this French movie making fun of American movies, which were definitely inspired by French movies. So it's like this very strange like path. How did it get there? (laughs) Wasn't the French connection, was that inspired by French films? It's an American film, isn't it? Yes. And I think it is actually inspired by a French film. (laughs) Yeah. But there's like that famous scene in the car, isn't there? It was actually filmed on a road without any permission. <laughs> it, literally, they're weaving in between the traffic and they, they, they just said, yeah, well, we're just doing this scene. We can't get commission, so fuck it, let's do it. I know. There's so I many times where you watch movies and you're like, I don't know if you got permission to do that, but you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You do see it quite a lot. It's it's just an interesting thing to kind of look look at the pacing and how things affect things. I mean, obviously, with America being so big and having a huge cultural reach, mm-hmm. a lot of people. I find it interesting. That a lot of people from outside the United States will know what's going on in those sorts of films, but people, I would say, from sort of English speaking countries, tend not to be very good with watching films from other cultures. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Probably I can one hundred percent. I can one hundred percent agree with that. Like had mm. conversations with kids when I was in my Japanese, when in our Japanese high school, who, mm. um, we, they would know like references to friends or Frasier mm. or like American TV shows and movies. But if you ask the American kids like, Oh, do you know this anime or do you know this Japanese movie? Mm. They would be like, what are you talking about? So it doesn't like, yeah. it's a one way system of export where like America exports yes. all this culture but it doesn't really take in that same culture unless they repackage it and rebrand it well i mean that's an interesting what is to- i was thinking about that as well is like um to do with films like that i really like so like ring the original japanese one is amazing mm-hmm. and then that was remade and then there was a swedish film i think it's swedish let the right one in mm-hmm. love that and then movie that one was remade into an, into in the united states mm-hmm. um and they do this with films that seem to be relatively well known and successful but then they just remake them and mm-hmm. then put them back out again. It's sort of like an American style film. Mm-hmm. Not quite an American film, but an American style film with English language, stuff like that. And you, I just, it seems like such an odd thing. It's a huge amount of effort to go to, to rather than just dubbing it. Yeah. I think some or, of it is, it. I think some of it is financial where they see like, Oh, mm. like that movie did really well. If we just Americanize it, we can capitalize <laughs> off of that money. But I think sometimes yeah. it's the thing of, well, we don't think Americans are going to understand the original, mm. not just like language wise. They just think that people won't get culturally what's happening. Mm-hmm. And so they think if we repackage it and Americanize it, then it'll be more accessible. But very often mm. people will watch the remake, they'll not like it as much. And then they find out that it's based off of this other movie and they'll go watch the Mm. original and prefer it. So it's one of those things where I'm like, stop remaking really good movies. Just watch the original movie. It's good for a reason. (laughs) Yes. It's, it's a strange one because it's like, I don't really understand why you would bother going to the effort of remaking ring. If you're not going to, if you're not going to watch the original, because the original is so good. Mm hmm. It's such a good film. And it's it's quintessentially Japanese as well. I think that's the thing about it. Is it it's very Japanese. Mm-hmm. It feels Japanese. And I think that's the thing about Japanese films is they do feel Japanese when you watch them. But they don't, they're not trying to pretend to be something else. It's just like, yeah, that's this is our culture. This is our society. We're making these films because we want to make them. And if you don't like them, tough. I think one thing I've noticed with Japanese movies is there's 
a lot more of a willingness to have silence in the movie. Mm -hmm. There's a willingness to appreciate and to focus on the quiet moments, which Mm -hmm. I think do not really happen in American movies. Like most well-known American movies, there's always some sort of sound in the background. There's always Mm -hmm. a soundtrack or some sort of background audio that's going on. Whereas Mm -hmm. I I found with the Japanese movies I've watched that there is, there, there are quite often moments of just silence where you're watching the Mm -hmm. actors kind of just be, and it's very Mm -hmm. different from how Americans approach cinema. Yeah. I mean, the one I quite like is a film called Onibaba and it's set in medieval Japan and all that sort of stuff. And, there's a technique that they use in that because it's set in the marshes so there's just all these reed beds and the thing is that basically what you hear through a lot of the film is just the wind blowing through the reed beds Ooh. and it's such a strange noise because if you're not used to it it's actually really creepy and they're using that background noise all the time and they'll sort of just have shots where the wind is blowing through the reed beds and like you get a sense of the space and mm-hmm. what it's like there like they're giving you that sort of feeling of being there in a certain sense mm-hmm. so I suppose it kind of like because again it's a kind of horror film and the Blair Witch Project does the same thing. It has no sound, like background noise. It's an American film, but like they're using, but it's using a different technique of, of like trying to make you feel like you're in it. It's like the found footage thing. Yeah, and um, I mean, when Blair Witch Project came out, it like <laughs> really blew up, and it was seen as this brand new technique. And after that, there were a bunch of movies mm. that used the whole found footage idea, and it kind of got overplayed. But when that came yeah. out, it was so big, and I think it was because it was using techniques that. American film was not used to. It was not used to the yes. silences and the natural sound. It was used to, there's going to be a soundtrack and we're going to have all these mm. noises in the background. And instead, Blair Witch just kind of made you exist in that space, which is terrifying. Yeah. Um, yeah. And thinking about some French films that I watched growing up, so my father's French, and so mm. a lot of the French movies that I watched growing up were movies that he was into. So like I watched the... French Taxi, um, and mm. then which oh, that yeah. was another movie that got remade in the states. It was not well received. Um, I also I can't see it working. It was not good. It had Queen Latifah mm. in it. She's wonderful. Um, it just the movie was not good. Um, mm. And then um, I know I watched Les Tontons Flingueurs, which was a mm. movie that was like um, French mafia. Like it, it's a French mm. mafia movie. Um, and it's all black and white, which I think it was actually filmed in a right. time where they could actually film in color, but they <laughs> wanted to make it look like a, an older movie. And that's another movie where there were silences. There was moments mm. of just existing a natural sound mm. and not having a soundtrack in the background. Like there were times where there was music, but it was put into very specific context and moments in the film instead of it Mm. just happening constantly. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And there was a famous, well, a few famous horror films from France in sort of the 50s, but one that's quite famous is uh, Les Yeux sur Visage, um, Eyes Without a Face in English, um, which is really weird. It's a story about how this so plastic surgeon essentially has a daughter whose face has been severely damaged in a, in a car accident. Mm-hmm. So what he does is he tries to find somebody else with the perfect face to graft onto his daughter. Ooh. And it's a really weird film, but it's really good. Oh, that sounds so cre- creepy. I think there was... It, it is really good. Was it French? There was a film called um, 
I think it was perfume mm. where there was a guy who was hunting, he was trying to create the perfect smell and he was creating that yeah. by finding women and like killing them. I don't think it was French. I don't can't remember if it was French or not. It was set in France. It could okay. have been a French film again that was remade though. That's a mm-hmm. possibility. I don't know. I, I've seen it. It's an interesting film. I d- people made a fuss about how great it was and I wasn't sure. Mm-hmm. I think the thing is you have to kind of see it as being a comedy film almost, <laughs> like a dark comedy. Because that's really what I think it actually is. But the thing is that the way that people treat it, they treat it as if it's really serious. Mm-hmm. I think people are looking at it and misunderstanding what it is. Mm-hmm. I think it. I think it's a kind of satirical thing in a way. Yeah, kind of dark. Actually, I, that's yeah. one thing that I've always appreciated in England. And I haven't really watched a lot of like serious English movies but mm. I love the dry, dry humor that you get from British comedies. It's completely unlike American movies. And I don't think American movies mm. can do it well. They've tried and it's never as successful. There's something about British dry comedy films that are just so good and so funny. And they export really well into the States. They mm-hmm. do well. Yeah. I'm trying to think of the comedy, for, like obviously things like Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead did really well. Oh my no, gosh, no, 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 they were humor, really, huge. But, you know. Oh yeah. Um, what were some of the other ones? Well, I mean the Python films, those are very famous. Oh my gosh, yeah, of course. Yeah. Those are so good. So strange. I love Monty Python. <laughs> yes, everybody does. Yeah, well, it's, almost everybody. It's, so, it's such bizarre kind of humor but when hmm. if you find someone who gets it, you're like, okay, you get me. If you can find yeah. this funny, then you can. We can be in existence with each other because it's so yeah. funny we to can me. We be friends. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, one. It's. It wasn't a film. It was a BBC series. I'm gonna out myself as a total nerd. I watched the original BBC uh, Pride and Prejudice that had Colin Firth in it, and oh yes, yeah, I yeah. loved it. I think I, the reason I liked it so much was that it I felt like it translated a lot of the book and how like there's a lot of repressed yeah. emotions and like the very stiff upper yeah. lip higher society and I thought it did a good mm-hmm. job of showing that and being like and I think, no no like I mean this it had a little bit of everything yeah and I think the thing is that Jane Austen was certainly in her novels has a good sense of humor. She's very, yeah, that's very dry, but she knows where the humor is and where to find things. And it's a kind of social commentary thing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't like it. Like they say, oh, but it's, you know, it's, it's, you know, it doesn't do enough. It's not like pushing enough on the boundaries and stuff like that, but it's, it's, it's representing what existed. I think mm-hmm. that's the thing. It's making a kind of comment about it. It's kind of almost a documentary sort of thing, almost. Yeah, stuff. that's that's how I've kind of watched it a couple of times is it feels mm. like a documentary in a way where it, it is dramatized. Mm. Absolutely. It's not real life, but there is definitely an element where you feel like you're taking a peek at the past and what it was like. Yeah. Yeah, I think. I think Jane Austen gets unfairly attacked for stuff. And I think, you know. What she was doing at the time was really unusual. There weren't that many female authors around. And her subject matter is what would sometimes say, well, oh, well, it's not that groundbreaking. But the thing is, we still do it today. We still watch things like Downton Abbey. So I think having a go at Jane Austen for not being forward thinking enough or not interesting enough is kind of like, well, nobody has a go at Downton Abbey for not being forward thinking enough or not interesting enough or not showing reality enough. And honestly... You would do, and do it to Jane Austen. Why? Yeah, and honestly, with Jane Austen, like... 
she had a central character who wanted to marry for love, which was still mm-hmm. kind of a novel idea at the time. There were a lot of people yeah. who were marrying only for wealth or only for social mobility. Mm-hmm. And the lead character in Pride and Prejudice refuses to marry unless it's for love and for respect for mm-hmm. her partner. And I mean, that in itself was groundbreaking. And she she did a lot of social commentary and talking about how mm-hmm. um, this was a family that had no men. So what happens to the women when the father dies? Like mm-hmm. that was a severe criticism of the social structure that existed at the period. And the newer movie that was done with Kira Knightley was mm-hmm. – Again, a little bit more sensational than the BBC Mm -hmm. uh, version. And I think it does a good job for what it's trying to do. But Mm -hmm. it's a little bit almost more emotional than I think the book wanted Mm -hmm. to show. It wanted to show the kind of repressed society that she was living in at the time. She was such a forward-thinking person and she was treated by her father like a critical Mm -hmm. thinker it wasn't okay you're just gonna sew and you're gonna be a girl and do what you're told there was probably an element of that but she was also treated like an intellectual like you can think and i want to talk to you and have interesting conversations yes i guess the thing is is that you know i think it is the thing in sort of like jane austen's work is that the characters they're always usually the main character is usually female Mm -hmm. i think almost all her books follow a female character who's the lead and it's, I think, I don't know. I just get slightly annoyed when people have a go at her because it's like, well, what else did you want her to do? <laughs> you know, I mean, in the time period, what did you expect her to do? Like, yeah. now we, you know, it's like, oh, but it's boring. It's this and that. The other. It's like, I think people who say it's boring don't get it. And yeah. I think people who want to criticize her for sort of like not being forward thinking enough is kind of unfair as well because, I mean, I think you're kind of missing the point of what she's doing. Yeah, and of the time, like she really yes. pushed a lot. And it's even interesting now where people criticize older films. They're like, it's not pushing the boundaries mm-hmm. enough. It's not, It's pu- it was pushing the boundaries of its time. And because yes. those films exist, that's what caused our films now to exist. Like we have yes. female directors now, which was unthinkable. Yes. Even like 20, mm-hmm. 30 years, like there just weren't really the number of women who were working in the field unless you were an actress. So mm-hmm. I think that it it takes a bit to move forward in time. You need those groundbreaking moments and you have to understand like, it doesn't seem groundbreaking now, but at the mm-hmm. time it was huge. And I think, I think that's something that we don't appreciate with film. I think- yes. Uh, definitely in the U.S., there's a lot more willingness to criticize and be very hard on f- cinema, especially old cinema. But I You're think right, yeah. I think there's something very valuable about being able to see the trajectory and how it's grown and changed, especially in countries yeah. where film is hard to make. Yes. Where they don't have yes. the resources, they don't have the money, the people. Like It's astounding mm-hmm. sometimes to see what can be done, even with limited resources. And you've got to remember that there are some films that are made in countries or people or by people from countries where they where the governments are really repressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, sort of like stuff that comes out of Iran. There's some very interesting films. I mean, one of the most famous ones to have been sort of written by an Iranian and worked on was Persepolis. Mm-hmm. That one's done unbelievably well. So many people have heard of the film and so many people have seen it. Um, but that's a representation of something that really happened mm-hmm. to people. 
uh, in Iran through the eyes of one person growing up, which is a quite a clever way of doing it, I think, because it gets you into seeing what was happening, but it doesn't show you too much to frighten you off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's all that sort of stuff. It's, you know, it's difficult to sort of explain to people, I think, how important that film is in its own way. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have the context from which it came, you kind of just, oh, it's just a nice story. It's like, no, this is somebody representing a real thing with humour and sort of honesty and truth as well, which means that it is accessible through this sort of... Because um, I think it was originally a sort of graphic novel. Mm-hmm. So she did the graphic novel and then it got turned into a film and that's quite impressive, really. I actually read the graphic novel and I've never seen mm-hmm. the film. I really want to mm-hmm. because the graphic novel itself was a huge eye-opening moment for me. Like, I just... Yeah. I didn't know anything about that history. I just didn't. Mm-hmm. And reading Persepolis... Well, no, gave a window into that society and how it changed over mm. time. Yeah. I mean, the other thing as well, I think, I think it was actually originally done in French. Mm-hmm. Yep. And um, then I read the translated American version, and I think I managed to get my hands on the French version. And I think I actually like the mm. French version better. <laughs> probably is better. I was, I was going to say one of the things that's also fascinating with how film is approached is uh, animation. I think Mm -hmm. that in the States, animation is treated as a very like childlike way of doing Mm. cinema, um, which I don't feel is the same in other countries, especially in Japan. There's a lot of very serious, very dark stuff that is done in animation that would not be done in live action. Um, and like Persepolis, well, Persepolis, I don't know if it would have been a successful live action. No, I don't think it would. I think it would have been too dark. Mm-hmm. I think that's the thing. It would have been too much for people, I think. It would have been too hard of an introduction. And if you don't know the history and stuff, it might just have seemed a bit sort of gratuitous and stuff like that. And I think Persepolis gets you in there because of the means of like showing it through animation. It works better. And the Japanese stuff, a lot, a lot of Japanese animated films have done really well across all sorts of areas. Because um, you have, you know, films like Monodoki Hime, you've got um, Totoro did really well. Um, can't remember the Japanese title of Spirited Away, but that did really well. Yep. Those are all films that people know. Um, and some of them don't aren't just kids' films. There are sort of more adult themes within the films. Oh my gosh. Um, did you so ever see Grave of the Fireflies? No, I need to see it though. It will destroy you. Like, be sh- be ready to have a bunch of tissues, a loved one, a cat, something that you can hold mm. on to because it wrecked me. It was mm. so incredibly heartbreaking. But it was necessary. Mm. You need you need to see yeah. stories like that. Grave of the Fireflies. I I'm, unfortunately don't know the name in Japanese, but um, it was from the Ghibli studio. And it's a movie about two children who survive the Hiroshima bombings, mm-hmm. bombing, and um, how they try and survive afterwards, and then the effects of mm-hmm. radiation. I won't go into it because it it is a really, it's just a stunning movie. But I agree, it's one of those movies where, like Persepolis, if they had done it live action, it might have been too hard it might have been too much for people to see and they wouldn't have Mm. absorbed the story in the same way whereas i feel like grave of the fireflies because it's animated it gives you a chance to really pay attention to the story and absorb it in a different way um Mm -hmm. 
it's still hard. I cried yeah. like a child um, the entire time. I almost the entire time I watched it. It was very painful, but necessary. Mm-hmm. It was absolutely necessary to see. Um, and I, I think that's something I want to encourage people who are moving to another country is take the chance to go see something that you're not used to in another Mm -hmm. language. A lot of foreign countries will have movies in their own language with subtitles. Yeah. So it's worth it to go out and see it because it gives you the chance to see something to absorb the culture through different eyes. One of the biggest things we did before we moved to Japan was we watched a lot of Japanese movies because it gave mm. us a better understanding and a little bit of an insight into what that country was going to be like. Now, granted, yeah. if you watch American movies, that's not always the best like way of understanding <laughs> what American culture is going to be like because it's so heightened. But mm-hmm. sometimes it is helpful. It gives you uh, an insight into how this other culture views the world. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting to also to see sort of just the sorts of kind of collaborations you can get from people who work between cultures as well. Um, because there's that one film, The Raid, which I think was filmed in Indonesia. Have you seen that one? I've heard of it. I have not seen it. I think my brother watched it and he said it the- was amazing. It's amazing. Like it's it's a film. The synopsis doesn't sound very interesting. It's just like, well, there's just a normal sort of cop fighting, you know, against a bunch of drug dealers. Basically, that's the story. Basically, that's all the story is. There is more to it than that. But the thing is, that the shots and the way that the film was produced. The first film is the best one. There are two. I think they're making a third. But the director, I think, was Welsh, which is interesting. Hmm. Um, and then he and they filmed it in Indonesia with Indonesian actors, and it's all. It's all in Indonesia, so that so the, the landscapes are different to what you would normally expect, mm-hmm. um, and you kind of see how sort of the way that Indonesia does or did look different to how we would normally see our action films, and it is basically it's basically a kind of kung fu movie, mm-hmm. but it is unbelievably good. There are some of the most amazing pieces of kind of like choreography and filming in that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Like if you, if you kind of think Kung Fu movies and stuff like that get a bit silly, this one is so well done. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. But I think that's also partly to do with maybe the way that technology is more advanced now. So you can get things to look more realistic. I mean, obviously it's not really happening, but I mean, you feel it. Mm-hmm. It does and- really work. And with technology improving, it means that a lot of people who would have been limited in being able to film are now given mm-hmm. more tools and opportunities to tell their stories. And it's really exciting to see places yes. that are really, they're putting their foot out there and they're really saying like, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what's important. People overlook Bollywood all the time. Americans definitely oh, yeah. do, where they're like, oh, it's just a lot of dancing and silliness. And it's like, Mm. No, it 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 makes sense for the culture. If you don't understand the yes. culture, the movie won't make sense to you. And it's yes. just as fascinating and as important as American I'm putting quotes American high cinema. Like there's some great stuff yes. that comes out of Bollywood. Yeah, you're always going to get it's a kind of funny thing because we might see a lot of tropes that we would see in American films and then you can kind of make fun of them. But the thing is we don't tend to make fun of them because we just accept them as being part of American culture. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you go to, whereas well, you're not used to another culture, you just go, why are they doing this? We don't understand. It's like, it's, it's because it's part of the culture and the way they see film. Because I think the thing is that sometimes people always see film as being sort of about 
I think the problem is that these days with the technology being so good and the CGI being so good in, in some places, and because it costs a lot, the thing is that people sort of just just want to have it. They don't want to have to do any of the imaginative stuff. Whereas I think f- film has that thing in common with theatre for a lot of its history, which which you you have to have a certain amount of imagination to sort of go, right, okay, I accept this as being what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, I was recently, I love talking about Alien, so I'm going to do it. Um, but I was recently <laughs> watching, I watched Alien again, and Alien came out roughly, two years after the first Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. So it's from 1979. And I think it's a really good film and it still looks great. It cost something like $8 million to produce. So that was a small budget at the time. Whereas you think like Star Wars, the budget was massive, mm-hmm. um, comparatively speaking. So the film still looks great. The ideas in the film are still brilliant. The pacing of the film is brilliant. It's got a strong female character in it, which is unusual. Um, she's the one that survives. Mm-hmm. Like all the, all the guys you would expect to sort of survive the film don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it moves on into the second film, which is obviously quite about, what was it? I think it's seven years later that did the second film. And again, she's becomes the sort of like strong character in the film that's, that everybody loves. Um, but the thing is, is that what I find interesting is when people talk about Alien, some people will just go on and on about, I watched a review of it and they spent sort of like half an hour just moaning about the effects and you're kind of going, it was in 1979, guys. What, yeah. what do you want? <laughs> I don't understand what you want from the film. Like, it's just strange. Cause, but I, mean, I think the thing is, is that the other thing is that because something like Star Wars, what happened was George Lucas went back to it and then put CGI in it. Oh, so I, it bugs it. me to no end. Mm. I hate the edited version. I really do. <laughs> it just doesn't look right. The original, there was mm. nothing wrong with it. It looked fabulous mm. with all the... Muppets, they weren't Muppets, all the puppets that were used and yeah. all the Jim Henson, like they really did a fabulous job. They did not mm. have to go back and correct it with CGI. It was perfect no. the way it was. When you see the CGI edited version now, it looks goofy. Like it just doesn't, mm. it looks mismatched. It looks like two completely different things got slapped together. It it yeah. doesn't feel right. And I, it might be nostalgia talking, but it just... It looked like someone went back and was like, oh, this wasn't perfect, so I'm going to edit it, and they mm-hmm. overcorrected themselves. Yeah. I think the problem is, is that maybe it might have something to do with the fact that, you know, because I think, when did, the, when did the remakes, well, not the remakes, when did the new edits come out? I mean, did they come out just like only a couple of years before this next film came out? So I'm assuming that maybe the next film was in production and they probably might have realised that they were using more CGI in these ones and they might have wanted them to look similar or something. And I mean, also the other thing is you had also, um, I think in 97, when they first used real CGI was in Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And that was that was spectacular. That was a really clever use of CGI. They used it where they could. Mm-hmm. But they didn't overuse it. So I'm wondering whether, like, because they realised that technology existed, they kind of thought, well, we'll update the film and then people will be more happy with it. I don't know. No, I don't. It's, I'm not sure timeline-wise, but I think they did a disservice to themselves. There's mm-hmm. so many movies where they used old-fashioned special effects that mm-hmm. hold up so much better than watching CGI. Like there are movies where it was astounding at the time, and the CGI was fabulous. But then you watch it, and you're like, eh. I mean, it didn't hold mm-hmm. up. It just didn't. It doesn't look no. as good. Whereas if you use old special effects there's a better chance of it lasting longer because it it looks closer to reality and our eye can see yes. it closer to our everyday. Like, for example, Avatar was huge when it came out because oh, of yeah. all the special effects that were used, the fact that everything was 3D motion captured. Like, it was huge mm-hmm. when it came out. Well, when you watched it, the storyline was kind of basic 
And, Mm -hmm. you know, the world building was stunning to the eye. But have you tried watching Avatar on your TV? No. It it is a movie where you have to watch it in cinema. Otherwise, there's no point in watching it. Because it just doesn't... You need that big screen to be able to fully grasp all the work that got done on that movie. Because story-wise, it has it doesn't have a leg to stand on. So it's like, okay, cool. It looks great. What was the point? Like what, why did you make this movie other than to show, look what we can do. And movies like that just aren't interesting. They're cool at when it comes out, but after a couple Mm. years, it's not really in the conversation anymore. It's not in the social psyche because we've gotten over it. We've gone, okay, that was cool. It looked great. Next thing. (laughs) I, th- I think that's the thing about film, isn't it? That's why I kind of, kind of compare it more to something like theatre than than it's not like a painting. The thing is, that it can it can look amazing. That's really important sometimes. But the problem you've got is that you know because it's a film, and because you generally speaking in film have the idea of a story that has a beginning, middle, and end. Generally speaking, that's how people work it. If you don't deliver on that, it doesn't matter what you've done mm-hmm. with the rest of it. You have to deliver on the characters. You have to deliver on the setting you have to deliver on those i mean different films will do things to different extents so some films will not really be too worried about character just more environment and setting some films will be all about the character and what happens to them mm-hmm. um it's but you can't have it where all it does is look good i just don't think it works because you don't want to look at something that looks good for that long and sort of like have it it's presented to you as if there is something in it more than just it looks good mm-hmm. um it's sort of like looking at pretty picture is fine for a while but sometimes you prefer to look at a painting by picasso because there's more you can pull out of it mm-hmm. was a nice picture of some cherubs lots of people go yeah it looks nice but i'm just looking at a nice picture of some cherubs there's nothing to say yeah. <laughs> more than it's just a it nice doesn't have it doesn't have a value in it it doesn't it's not forcing yeah. you to think it's just it's pretty mm-hmm. Whereas the same thing with theater, like it's really fun to go see something that is just a spectacle, but most people Mm -hmm. gravitate towards something that has value in it, that has meaning, that's trying to make commentary. That's why so many people in the States gravitated towards something like Hamilton. It was innovative. Mm -hmm. It had meaning behind it. It was pushing boundaries and it was entertaining. It had everything. It was, and like visually it was more on the basic side but it was the story Mm -hmm. that it was telling that was far more important and i think with film it's the same thing you can visually have a very stunning movie but if there's nothing that has value and doesn't speak to you you're not really gonna Mm -hmm. watch it again there's not gonna be that same like i have to go see it again it's gonna be like okay well it was cool to look at and i'm bored now (laughs) yeah and that's the funny thing is I, I always talk about Star Wars again. I don't really fully understand how people can love Star Wars as much as they do. I, like the original You're going to get attacked by all the Star Wars I know, fans. I know. <laughs> I mean, the original films are fantastic, but I mean, the, the one thing I just... Like, kind of running joke amongst some comedians in Britain is it's a kid's film. And it's like, it is... I mean, it's a very good one. Mm-hmm. But I just find it odd how excited people can get about it. I just... I always, I don't know why, but in, in my head, just with going back to Alien again, with the two things at the time of sci-fi, I think sci-fi can do a lot more. I think the problem with Star Wars is it's it's kind of a fantasy film in space. Yes, no, it is. It's far more fantasy than yeah. it is sci-fi. Yeah, and whereas I think um, 
Aliens kind of shows what sci-fi can be and what sci-fi can do. Mm-hmm. It's a much more of a thinking person's film. It has a lot more going into it, which is why, and also the thing is that the franchise itself, I think, was very clever because you have two fantastic films, which is the first one and the second one. Two different directors, but also two different ways of approaching sci-fi. So one is a much more kind of a horror film, second one much more of an action film. One is by Ridley Scott, and then one is by James Cameron, who also did the Avatar and Titanic. Mm-hmm. So, but that film is like, it could be, you could just say that, you know, Alien 2 is James Cameron's masterpiece. Because mm-hmm. it's such a good film. And that's the thinking behind that. And then again, like the effects in it are all good. They all hold up in both films. Mm-hmm. The, the, it's something, I don't know. It might be, in my mind, that's something to do with the limitations of your character, your plot, your story, and the technology that you have around you to make it work. I think it's... If you can do anything and you can do anything you want, you end up with something that's boring mm-hmm. because you haven't got the constraints. You haven't got like, well, you know, I've got this box and these are the rules within the box. So we're going to do that. You create, it's like, because people go, oh, think outside the box. It's like, no, sometimes you have to put yourself in a box to then, then think. think within the confines yeah. of the box. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that's huge. I think having limitations on yourself, I'm just speaking as an, an artist and a person who has had a lot of issues mm. when someone's like, just do whatever you want. Then I freeze. Whereas yeah. if someone says, here, you have to do it within 24 hours. You get these three characters. They have to say this. You have to put it within this setting that's when I find my best work happens is mm-hmm. when you give yeah. very specific limitations. And I think sci-fi is a lot of that. A sci-fi is yeah. a commentary on the society, but it's also you are confined to space. You are confined to mm-hmm. a space station. You are confined to this mm-hmm. planet, whatever it is. When you have those mm-hmm. confines, it really forces you to think in a way where it's like, okay, this is the only place I get or this is the only time I get what can I do within that mm-hmm. allotted period um yeah so yeah I'm I'm a huge fan of it's good to have a lot of resources it's great when you mm-hmm. have resources available to you but I think there is something to be said for setting yourself limitations because it yes. forces you to think more creatively and how you can get what you want without necessarily having everything at your disposal. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because even, like, I think, going back to the Japanese stuff, I mean, like, the, the two films I mentioned earlier, like, Onibaba, there's, I think, maybe you only see five or six people in the entire film. Wow. It's all set within a re-bed, and it's just an older woman and her daughter, and the thing that they do is they basically steal armour from soldiers and then sell it on. That's what they do. Mm-hmm. And that, it involves killing the soldiers as well and disposing of their bodies. As that's kind of the basis of the film. And it takes a long time to develop and that kind of thing. And it's all set within these reed beds. So your space is set, your characters are set, your constraints are set. And I'm sure it, it looks like it was done on a budget of like a very small budget. It looks fine. There's nothing wrong with it. It's in black and white. But like it's obvious that it's not had a huge, massive budget where they could do whatever they wanted. And again, with like Ring the one scene that you really remember is the scene of the woman coming out of the television. Mm-hmm. That is just the most amazingly scary scene I've ever seen. And it's it's not because you see any, there's no gore, there's nothing. There's just that one special effect. And the rest of it is mostly just people sort of like seeing this strange woman coming out of a well on a TV screen. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, it's so scary. Mm-hmm. It really works. And it, and you know, they're in houses, they're in cars. There's one scene where they're down a well. And they're real spaces. There's nothing. There's nothing 
the film is shot in a way that makes it work and the, and the constraints of the film make it work. Mm-hmm. And really a lot of it is psychological. It's suspense and stuff like that. And then you get the rev- of this this thing of coming out of the TV and just going, oh my God. <laughs> and it, it's, it's really genuinely really terrifying and it's so well done. But it's like, I think, I think the Japanese have a culture of the ghost story as well and that kind of thing really works because they, they already have that kind of horror element that really works. Whereas sort of like, I think the problem with sort of like European stuff is gothic stuff is much more elaborate and ornate in a way it's much more but as you know and i think that might be the kind of thing that maybe in the west it is more difficult to produce a really a horror film because of the way we see horror mm-hmm. until you get things like the texas chainsaw massacre and stuff like that where our fear is of people yeah or like stuff like saw shift. where apparently like their budget was nothing they had like oh, yeah. a no budget they had a tiny space it was like go and do this movie I'm not a fan mm. of it. It's that's not. I don't like horror. I'll be honest. I'm not a horror yeah. fan. But it's stuff like that <laughs> where, when you have a limitation, and then mm-hmm. you're able to create art, that's the stuff that yeah. I think stands the test of time. Yeah, I mean that is the one thing about horror is just because it is so low budget, a lot of techniques and things get taken out of horror and put into bigger films because they find a way of doing something in effect or something like that that's cheaper. But also incredibly effective. Like it, it's sort of like in the seventies and eighties. I think it was the use of latex was the thing, mm-hmm. and that makes a big difference because you can use latex effects. And I suppose you could use that on stage very easily as well if you wanted to. Oh my gosh, latex is a great tool to have for stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's definitely something that is used to great effect for stage. And even like, um, I have a friend who's worked. Uh, like haunted houses and she's like mm-hmm. i always have latex in my bag i, I can't go i can't yeah. go and prepare if i don't have latex in my bag because most of the special yeah. effects and gore that i need you need the latex to do it mm-hmm. and they're like cool didn't know <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah this was really cool chatting about yeah, film it I, it's definitely something that i think a lot of the times, especially in the West, we see is just an entertainment, but I think there's a lot mm. of value within film. Um, and especially when you travel, expose yourself oh, yeah. to new cinema, find new mm-hmm. ways of looking at film and, and looking at it with a critical eye. Um, mm. So yeah, I'm excited. <laughs> yeah, I am too. Well, I'll see you next time, Marcus. Right. See you next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, If you want to find us, we are on Twitter at Passport, N-E-C-E-S-S-1. We are also on YouTube, and you can find us anywhere where fine podcasts can be found. Um, Through Anchor, that is our main platform, but you can also find us through Spotify, Apple Music, etc. Please feel free to leave us a comment, a review. We definitely appreciate those. They make us really happy uh, to see them. And feel free to um, send us questions via Twitter or any of the uh, formats that we're on. We have some really exciting episodes lined up in the future. Um, And hopefully we will have a Facebook group that will be up and running soon uh, where you can absolutely chat with other people who listen to the podcast or even ask us questions. Uh, So thank you so much again for listening and we can't wait to see you next time. Bye.